Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. I will be... Don't think I will be repeating what I just said a second ago. Uh, Fair enough. No. No, that was Jason. Horrifically anti Semitic, Aaron. Uh, and I think no, that you that's should not, cool I didn't it. say anything. First of all, this <laughs> is not the time not the time to be making those jokes. Second of all, I'm not the person to be targeting with those jokes. How well, dare that's, you? That's precisely yeah. why I did it, of course. I mean, oh, even, even for that a self hating was pretty okay. off the mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, then maybe you will uh, repeat wow. uh, after me when I say thank you very much for listening to Trilove. It's a literal roundtable podcast where you talk about people we saw. Sorry, movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema, Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon Cinema, the place we talk about, at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. Under this mask, I'm a perfectly normal American, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison, a real feline floozy, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. It's a low podcast full of rum pots. They're used to curious sights, which they attribute <laughs> to alcoholic delusions. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Uh, my name is Aaron. I may be a drinker, but I'm also a human being, and I'm surprised nobody else took that one. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at RB, please. My running up was going to be, I am ready to rehydrate, and then I was just going to guzzle sure. a bunch of water just in the noisiest, grossest way I could. I'm like... <laughs> I, I have 32 ounces left if anybody wants to have a fun audio experience. Uh, but before we go very much further, this was part of the other programming at the Trilon. So it was, I believe, one-off. It was not part of a series yeah. of films. Um, I know I lied about that last time because I just didn't pay attention to the actual programming slate. This time I did. <laughs> uh, but uh, as always, to correct me or to prove me right, you can go to Trilon.org, check out their programming schedule, their calendar, find a movie you want to see, get in touch with us uh, at, on our Twitter or uh, Gmail. Let's talk about it. Uh, but before we do any of that, I think we should, yes. or I should pass it off to Aaron for his patented summary of the film we're about to discuss. What is it? Yes. Uh, we're talking about Batman, not this year's Batman, last year's Batman, 10 years ago's Batman. We're talking about 1966's Batman, directed by Leslie H. Martinson. Uh, Batman, uh, slash Bruce Wayne, uh, and Robin, slash Wait a minute, what? Grayson. Sorry, I had to do it. Yes, I've revealed their identities. Uh, they follow the trail of four of the most dangerous villains alive. Uh, we're talking, of course, about the Joker, the Penguin, Catwoman, and the Riddler, uh, as they have uh, the four of them have teamed up as uh, the United Underworld to commit even more uh, heinous crimes. Uh, the plan this time, you ask? Maybe you don't. Uh, it's to kidnap the members of the United World Organization Security Council. Uh, by turning them to dehydrated dehydrated powder uh, by using a, a sort of a kind of special dehydrator ray uh, that they've gotten their hands on. Uh, Batman and Robin must evade a number of traps, uh, including uh, exploding sharks, fake Russians, and lame riddles in order to save the day. 
this film was the first, the very first of many, many theatrical adaptations of the famous DC Comics character. Uh, the film was originally pitched to kind of coincide with the first season of the TV show, uh, although 20th Century Fox uh, initially refused the idea as they didn't want to finance a whole film and financing a TV series was slightly less risky. Uh, when that TV series was a big hit, uh, and also a Batman serial from 1943 also kind of regained popularity uh, at a screening, they agreed to create the film uh, with all of the characters returning from the TV show, uh, with the exception of the TV show's uh, Julie Newmar, who played uh, Catwoman. Uh, here, Lee Merriweather uh, plays Catwoman, uh, Cesar Romero plays the Joker, Burgess Meredith plays the Penguin, Frank Gorshin plays the Riddler. Burt Ward uh, is, of course, Robin, and uh, the great Adam West uh, is a Batman. Uh, Jason, that's what I got. Take it away. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Was anybody else surprised by... Now, I, I, I come from a world where I didn't watch... Like, I watched some, uh, you know, 15 60s TV at, at home, TV land, etc. Was not ever a consumer of the, like beyond just memes and jokes of the Batman series of the sixties, the Adam West version uh, was, has any other character been so quickly turned from like immediately once televised, like already just a platform for a parody of itself. Like this was, like you said, the first televised first film version of Batman. And it just feels very strange that it's not the sort of self unaware uh, sort of campless, like just goofy without intending to be goofy thing that I thought it was. I thought it was sort of a very straight over the plate, sincere thing. It is way more self-effacing, way more like commentary on itself than I ever thought it actually got. Did that surprise anybody else? Yeah, it's uh, I will also kind of preface this by saying that I think we've mentioned this on the pod, but I don't think any of us to varying degrees are like giant comic nerds at all like I, I i think we may have all dabbled with it in various forms um but you know I, i'm actually somewhat kind of scared to talk about this given just how long of a history specifically with batman but kind of comics in general there is right uh, my understanding uh, of this film is that this was even in the 1960s uh already kind of a point when batman material was kind of turning to uh, kind of self-parody or satire, right? Um, that, that there were, although certainly not kind of the gritty, you know, kind of modern day versions of Batman, there were versions of Batman that were, um, you know, a little, if not darker than kind of more serious, right? Not as obviously uh, uh, kind of self-comedic. Um, and that this was kind of an era when Batman uh, was kind of starting to move in that direction, right? Where you know, kind of like with the Clooney Batman uh, and Robin, you start getting comedic uh, kind of parodying elements of the bat blank, right? The bat copter, the the bat bicycle, the bat whatever, the bat boat, you know what I mean? Things like that, that, that are very comedic, that kind of stem from funnier, but maybe not as intentionally so elements uh, from kind of earlier versions of Batman, but kind of takes it to an extreme where now you have Batman, you know, running around with a bomb and like running into a bunch of nuns and people and then a bunch of ducks in the water. And like, I don't know, I kind of really loved those elements, I guess. Um, yeah, and yeah. really dug them in this film, despite, yes, not anticipating that much of it. Um, I guess I wasn't surprised because I've seen several episodes of the original TV show, so I kind of knew going in that the Adam West um, 
like iteration was totally a piss take on Batman. Um, it is really awesome and surprising that it's like the first iteration that made it to the screen. Um, yeah, I've always really, really loved uh, the 1960s Batman in particular. Um, I like that it sort of belies the sort of surprise that you're referring to, Jason, where I feel like growing up and being a kid, when I would like watch the 60s Batman, I didn't realize that it was a parody because that was kind of before I knew what satire was. And I just thought that they were trying to be serious and failing. And that was like what 1960s television was supposed to look like. But returning to it now, um, it's super fun. And honestly, maybe this is my big quote unquote hot take for the episode, but it kind of made me feel depressed about what Batman is now, right? I, it was like oh, way yeah. back, way back in the 1960s, like we were adult enough that we can make movies like this that are genuinely funny and genuinely sort of like, um, count on the reader or the, the, um, viewer to understand what satire is and to understand what even camp is in the sort of broad sense and to sort of like go along on a ride and not be so funny and i could not stop thinking about like hey what if this movie had been made today and it was like oh like redditors would have um killed everybody involved with it because yes, they, they would have kidnapped in, yes. insulting would be a the, terrorist attack the yes. wonderful character of batman right it's like you it's really hard to like look at this movie which was from 1967 right and then look at like 2022's Batman, the Batman, which is not even a movie I dislike. I, I actually rather like that movie. Sorry, 66. Yeah. But, it, but it is like, holy shit. Like, did we lose something in the, uh, the intervening years? Like, man, remember when movies could be sort of like joyful and funny and about like, or it, like poking fun at themselves instead of everything needing to be like a billion dollar blockbuster because, um, that's how we appeal to, um, audience members who will literally threaten our lives if we get anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, very true. So be on your guard today, gentlemen. We don't want to invoke the, the wrathful vengeance of, of the bat of brigade. This, yeah, that's right. Um, the, the bat fandom. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's good to hear that, you know, from, you Harry that this isn't like entirely coming from out of left field because I have no mileage with the show as well. I'm admittedly kind of curious to go and check out at least some of it. Um, it's extremely fun to watch. I would not suggest watching yeah. the entire series because it gets a little bit grating uh, much as maybe your mileage may vary, but this movie kind yes, of does slightly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but watching an episode or so every now and then uh, is a real treat. I would say. Okay. Hey, and I'm a fan of treats. Dare I say every once in a while, I deserve a little treat, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that this is, um, not like where it all started, started, but as far as big screen adaptations go, seeing the, you know, uh, this, um, not really a franchise at the time, but like this, this movie, this, this world, um, these stories, these characters kind of turn in toward the direction of self parody, um, based on kind of where they started and comparing that to, you know, the, the, the superhero movies of today, which uh, I'm going to try and not like get us talking about a lot because that won't be fun for anybody. But like there, it's kind of the opposite with that where it's, we need to ramp up the, you know, the brute force of everything. We need to make the muscles bigger. We need to remove more color. We need to like recreate nine eleven image uh, imagery even more. Um, and I guess like you do see some, I, I hesitate to say that, um, these instances are, are the on Batman 1966's level, but for every, you know, a, a couple of goes, you know, there's the MCU and, and DC side of things, but then you might get kind of the Lego movies might try and poke fun at, at franchises, Lego Batman um, in particular, if we want to call out like, you know, a specific, I, I like I, it, 
tries. It's different from this, um, but there is there is not really anything like this um, where it's you know kind of the the, the little in jokes of like oh we we cannot tell Kitka is, is Catwoman but we can pick out Penguin right away like great joke and great like self parody um, the all the bat word play the kind of general outward critiques that we see t- by the end of this movie of like hey these world leaders all they do is kind of banter and bicker at each other over a table and what's up with that right well. We're going to go out this window and, and nobody's going to be any of the wiser. Um, they don't even save the day. They literally they don't. don't save that. They they goof it all up at the very end. How good is that? No, that was the greatest gift that they could have possibly given oh, yeah. humanity, right? Because they contributed yes, right. to a larger shared understanding. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know, um, Jason. I don't know if that that scratches at kind of what was on on your mind about it. But you know, from having no mileage coming into this, I was really, really pleasantly surprised. And it seems like you might have been too. Definitely. I the question it raises, like, and all these in jokes and stuff. I you know I I get them because I get the concept of the caped crusader. People don't know who he is. All that kind of stuff. And watching those jokes, like in one of the first few scenes, they're taking the Batcopter and just like gliding through the city and. The version of Batman I'm used to is like trying not to be perceived in most respects. And when he is, it's by bad guys so that he can strike terror into their hearts. And there's just a guy. Just, just there's a, a cutaway to that eating, guy. Just, just eating a picnic in the park. And they're just like, man, I'm glad to see that they're up there doing their job. Like, it's like I legit it's thought like, that was John Wayne. It was not. I'm pretty sure. But was I was like, like oh my God, is that John the, Wayne? like post 9-11 Spider-Man joke where like once per or not. It's not a joke in those movies, but like where somebody sees Spider-Man and they're like, God bless America, New York. God damn it. And it, it's so good he's like oh boy it feels good to know they're up there doing their jobs (laughs) it's so fucking funny it's just like the batman that exists to be perceived like you were saying cody like it just feels like the marriage of the time like you're saying uh like you said harry about the like the way that the mythos and the character had evolved over the like what was it 1939 the first detective comics was so less than 30 years after the thing has been created they've already gone through enough cycles that we have uh, like you know versions of versions of the character and sort of this self-reflective self-aware parody of the character that eventually is the version that because it's most colorful most palatable gets put on the screen it just makes me wonder like what about the intervening years there made batman the right character like honestly it feels like you could have done this with any new character and it would have felt like a piss take on batman anyway but they chose so specifically to make it the batman version of a batman parody like a batman piss take it feels very special in that respect it's like they're sort of paying homage to it uh like res- quote unquote respecting the character it's respecting the lore by just like completely showing you how fucking stupid it is sometimes it it feels very like like unique and special in that way in a way that you know other takes on batman as just like a guy who beats up people in the night would not carry in the same way well, and that's so well said, uh, Jason, right? Because like the the sharpness of this critique and the, the hilarity that it produces has not been dulled at all by the intervening years. In fact, I think it gets funnier with every passing Batman movie, right? It's like you could have written this in 2022 and I would have been amazed at how good a joke it is that Batman is so prepared for any eventuality that when a shark in the sea bites his leg, he has shark bat repellent at the ready, right? It's like that... <laughs> That is like the perfect takedown of every single Batman movie that has come since this movie, right? And it like completely understands the character at a at a perfect sort of like true but also comedic level. And it's just simply really, really funny. Like, I think you're right. Like, I think that 
we take it for granted, knowing what we know now about Batman, that he was a character with a 20 plus year history, even before this movie was made. Right. Um, and so it was already ripe for it. Um, to answer your question, I feel like Batman is perfect because he sort of represented, and maybe this is apocryphal, but to me, he was sort of the first or one of the first edgy superheroes, right? It's like you couldn't really sell this with with Superman in the same way because Superman being goofy would sort of make some sense, right? Like, Or at least um, it, it's not ripe for parody because it doesn't feel like the original was so um, completely opposite of what this turned out to be, right? Yeah, Superman like, is yeah. inherently goofy in the character. Sort of, right? right. He's, or at he's, least, yes. You could, do a, you could do a funny parody of Superman, but it wouldn't feel like it was a piss take, right? It would just feel like another iteration of Superman in okay. some ways. Whereas this is yeah. so obviously, like, it's hilarious because it's Batman. And also, like, very much Batman, right? Like, they get the character exactly right. Like, they do a great sure. job with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so happens that they do it in a very, very funny way. I keep thinking of those moments that like exemplify that it does know the character. Again, my assumption going in was that you'd see the Zakawis on the screen. You'd see all these crazy things, uh, you know, and it'd be like, this is just our version of Batman. This is what happens in this world. This is not quite that. It is way more aware of what has come before, what is. And those moments that tell me what, who, like that do in retrospect show me that they actually do have a deep understanding of the character. In addition to, I guess, William Dozier was the producer of the series and of this movie too. Uh, and he was one of the people who fought like hardest to ride that line between like a camp, uh, like jokiness and like genuinely fun to watch shit. And like, Oh, that's the character of Batman type stuff. Uh, in addition to the, like just that overall tone, those specific moments of the first one that caught my eye was, I forget what they're trying to get. They're trying to get fingerprints maybe from like the buoy out in the bay. And he's like, mm, salt and corrosion, the natural enemies of every, like every one of the world's every greatest crime detectives. Fighter. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the funniest, stupidest line. Cause you could like, you could hear him saying that about any natural occurrence to, you know, you know rusting metals or whatever. Uh, and then <laughs> near the end, I know Harry, you called this out when uh kick is revealed to be Catwoman, And he just like has this really, intensely emotional moment that's just broken up by a line as stupid as like again every crime fighter it happens in the life of every crime fighter that was like maybe the funniest joke of the entire movie for me right because he like hears this like russian victory music and it's clear <laughs> and he's just like staring into the middle distance like oh, it's, uh, it's the it's the song that he hears when he's dancing with her at the restaurant that's good directing right there i mean that's like, quality writing <laughs> he's having an in the mood for love moment right or like the fucking uh <laughs> Um, sound of He's silence whispering into in, a hole uh, in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, Arrested Development for like a full thirty seconds, and then he just like it cuts, and he just looks over at uh, um, Robin. He's like, "Oh, this is just something that happens to any crime fighter. It's fine. It doesn't mean anything. Let's move on." <laughs> those those in jokes being so intentional is what I wasn't prepared for, but it does. It is exactly. I can just keep harping on, harping on the same thing. It just it's what makes this movie like memorable to me. Well, and, and I think that's a really good thing to talk about, right? Is that like, I think that in addition to everything else that this movie does, I was, and maybe this was sort of the soft bigotry of low expectations, even though I kind of knew what to expect, but I was really shocked for almost this entire movie at how funny it is. I think that it's like a wildly successful comedy, just like on its own ground. I like, I kept being like really stunned by just how sharp and witty and funny these stupid jokes were, right? Like I, I, 
absolutely love the repeated sort of like um, Batman and Robin making these insane inferences uh, in order to solve crimes and, and solve the Riddler's riddles where they're like, well, that shark was pulling my leg, so it could have been the Joker. And then Robin's like, yes, but it happened at C, C for Catwoman. Uh, and they're like, huh, this was a, I can't remember the other ones, but he's like, this is certainly a puzzling conundrum. Wait a minute, puzzling? Like a Riddler? Literally just like Chief O'Hara says, uh, it's, it all ends up to like a, a, a one big giant riddle. <gasps> and then <laughs> like, they're, they're right, of course. Or like moments. later on when they, when they, uh, find out that the United Underground is working together, the UU, and, uh, they're, they're talking and, uh, the commissioner is like, but with, the Joker and the Riddler working together, they must have their sights set on on something like the entire state. And then uh, Batman's like, if it were just the two of them, I would think that. But with the three of them, and he's like, you don't think the country? And Batman's like, perhaps if it were the three of them working together, we would have to worry about only the country. But there are four yeah. working together. And That's Commissioner's really like, my God, it's so good. <laughs> he's like, I would say at minimum, world domination is their <laughs> goal. <laughs> It, frankly, if there's one, if there's one strong criticism, well, two, I guess two strong criticisms of this film, it's that one, it is maybe about 25 minutes too long. And the other thing is that there is such a strong opening with the shark scene that I don't think anything else lives up to. It's unfortunate, but that uh, shark is so out of left. I, I was, I was having the time of my life watching that. Scene. It's the, that was incredible. It's, it's the perfect Batman scene, right? Like it's the yes. perfect parody of everything that Batman represents. It's like, when it, it explodes, I mean, job. come on. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Yes. Incredible. Um, right. A joke that in any other kind of more, uh, uh, more, even more comedic film would be like, Oh, this is kind of a wacky, you know, some shitty internet joke from 2005, 1966, Batman exploding shark. Ooh, incredible. Goes down. It's the vintage shit. Yeah. Yes. I, I I would agree that like that high. I don't know if the, movie, if the movie really ever reaches it again, but I think it kind of establishes that it's not going to reach it once it introduces the characters proper and starts getting into them. I do want to talk about the villains at some point because I think they do a really fun thing with them. But uh, Harry, I want to give you another chance to comment there. I would say, like, I agree with that. It definitely pointedly doesn't reach those highs again. I kind of liked just how like it almost felt like part of the joke that they never even really go for anything like that again. I was shocked by how much of this movie takes place in this like insanely shitty little bar that is like the clearest soundstage that I've maybe ever seen in a movie and how much of it is just like these four villains playing off of each other um, in, in like mildly annoying grating ways that are also like very hilarious. But I, I found it so funny that it was like after this, like we really settle in. Right. And it really becomes like, like they're, they're not even trying to sort of cover up the fact that they are on a stage at that moment. Right. And it, it, the, the presentation is so camp and so, um, ostentatiously sort of, um, obvious that, that it really lends something to even the, the scenes that are just sort of like plot conveyance devices. Yeah. I, I feel the same, the, the sort of settling in as you described it, I think makes a ton of sense because it does the ceiling of the rest of the film, like gets, lower after the beginning obviously um because how are you going to top that but at the same time getting the mix of all of these it's it's uh, i mean for lack of a better phrase it is sort of a necessary evil that we are just kind of round tabling all of these villains and each one and i don't know how this works as a segue into like your villain discussion jason but i agree we need to we need to talk about them the the fact that it is just the four of them each sort of 
bringing forth a, a scheme and then they're rolling out either like the entirety of that scheme or that scheme is playing into the scheme of somebody else's scheme. Um, and then it's like it, I said it before we started recording it. I mean, it does kind of feel like what I imagine a couple of these episodes stacked end to end would sort of look like. And it was, well, like, fuck it. Let's uh, all four villains. Let's bring, let's bring them in here. The fact that, I mean, these villains and our heroes as well are just, you know, this is, uh, you know, this was back in an era when, you know, superheroes and supervillains were just, regular degular people in costumes and they had these gimmicks that not only fed into their like um their their hero and villain personas their alter egos but also just like their daily just like their livelihoods their instincts when uh catwoman or, or miss kitka or whatever is standing off to the side she has to hide these like these rare like these cat scratching like sensibilities that are just like coming up out of nowhere just unconsciously subconsciously from her psyche um and that's I, I, I get, I'm trying to like still put together kind of how that feeds into all this, but that plays into why this is just such a, a different, you know, sensibility than, than we would ever get now. And it, it also is kind of what allows it to, you know, again, um, simultaneously heightening and uh, like heightening the floor and lowering the ceiling. The fact that things like this fight choreography, you know, again, these are just like regular people. These aren't Jackie Chan-esque like trained fighters, you know, the elite of the elite, but the fact that they are just like, you know, five foot eight 130 pound soaking wet robin just like kicking people you do get to see all the hits in the shot which is like it's something well when they connect i hits is a very generous sometimes (laughs) word i think for some of the he does he does like i mean it's like judo flips two guys at once on top of the sub and it's just kind of him like Swinging his arms a little yeah. bit. It's, it's a very, very good. good. It's very hey, good still better fight scenes than the Nolan movies. Turns out, it is. Hey, weird. Right. Hey, not, not to just like look at the world through that every frame of painting video about Jackie Chan, but also <laughs> uh, like I don't know. Yeah. They made some pretty good points, and you uh, just like long continuous ca- uh, takes of of Burt Ward softly kicking people in the stomach really kind of you know they really matter and probably tickled the people he was kicking too for what it's hey, worth. Hey, hey. Uh, I want to go back to you mentioned um uh what was your name uh, Mel. Oh, gee. Lee Merriweather, sorry, who played Catwoman yes. in this movie. Uh, in every scene where she's not like starting the scene with dialogue, but she's part of like a group shot, like a wide shot, she's just constantly like moving, like a, like gyrating. If she's not, if she doesn't yeah. have, like she's either scratching you her know, back cats. or she's, and it, like, I love that moment when it becomes, I wondered when it would become textual, but then it does when Bluebeard and she are looking through like the spyglass on the sub and she starts making these like really weird cat noises and clinking her nails against the thing. And he just like slowly looks up and deadpans directly at her. That felt like a really well-earned joke. But like that discussion of uh, villains that it was a great segue, Cody, because like it's those examples of how essentially like goofy these characters are and always have been that like this movie codifies in a really fun way to the point where it's not like they're not actually they're not actually trying to dominate the world they're literally just trying to get their bits out they're literally just trying to commit to the bit completely there's like there's that whole the whole middle act of abducting bruce wayne like it is hatched not because it's an effective thing to do, but because it allows them all to have something to do that like exemplifies their powers or their <laughs> fed. Like Catwoman gets to gets to like seduce and abduct him. Uh, then the Riddler's uh, the Riddler's going to like trigger you have a, a real box hard time from the Joker this, under <laughs> and underneath onto the sub. Riddler's J- Riddler is going to trigger the box to throw Joker's box to throw Bruce or. Uh, Batman out the window into the tentacles of the penguins exploding octopus. And it's like, is this 
good, meaningful, or effective. No, it is literally just the one that lets everybody get their fucking bit out. And well, and, I love and how textually that, that is painted right. Right, from that especially scene. in the case that uh, like they repeatedly beg the Riddler to stop sending riddles to Batman and Robin because they are making <laughs> their schemes easier to figure out yeah. and thwart. But Riddle's like, look, guys, I this is the only thing. He literally at one point he's like, this is the only thing that brings me any joy <laughs> is trying to outsmart Batman. So yes, I have to send little riddles anytime we do something and yes they are going to solve the riddles and come and stop us but like i just gotta be me all right i love i love that i (laughs) love um everybody in this movie is having so much fun and i feel like in general like the, the movie is just like it's having so much fun with its audience and with the idea that it like it's just such a joyful movie i love even all of the villains like they each get their own like acting bit that the characters are that the actors so clearly committed to like Burgess Meredith has this insane penguin laugh that he busts out like 700 times where he's just like eh, 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 and it rocks it's that's the best um Cesar Romero this has been pointed out by everybody already but I I cannot help but bring it up because it's so good clearly painted the joker makeup over a full mustache oh yeah um (laughs) and it's it's like the best one of the best visual gags i've ever seen in a movie and i can't even explain why but it is just so funny um and then there's that amazing scene where uh he goes in to talk to the abducted sea captain and the sea captain does not seem at all perturbed that the joker is the guy that's bringing him his tea oh, he's on a member of the crew of the ship. Yeah. yeah, he's just like, oh, yeah. well, th- thank you. You uh, have the sir. most ghastly pallor, sir. <laughs> right. I like uh, that they have they have kidnapped him, but they they make him think that he is still on the sub with like a series of weird contraptions to yeah. like show like a water kind of scene. It's just like on, literally like, a, a screen that's, that's yes, moving. Yeah. A screen printed thing. Yeah, it's it's you know, very that's very good. I like it's it. It's where the Mission Impossible movies got that whole bit. Um it is like 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 you said, Harry, it becomes textual when the Riddler goes through that whole thing and explains like this is actually like this is the only thing that brings me joy. He doesn't say like I want to take over the world and Batman is in my way. He's like I just want to attack Batman. I just want to prove Batman is not as like goofy as I am. And it's like it it feels in those moments, especially the moment uh, I'm talking about earlier, where he's like it's it's the Riddler's idea to make everybody's like bits match up in this one cockamamie plot to hatch. Uh, and you can just like he lays it out exactly like I imagine a, like a writer of the comics would have to write out a really stupidly contrived plot in order to get another issue out of the comic from like 20 years before this movie came out. And that is what I came away with from that whole tack of painting these characters this way is they are like the producers and writers of this movie are saying, remember how goofy it was that we had to come up with all these weird plot elements just to fit every villain in? Remember how incongruous it all felt? Now we're going to make those part of the screen. Now we're going to like self insert those people into characters on the screen, make them like plot elements. It just feels like a recursive, like in joke constantly to itself that like should be annoying. Like you said, your mileage may vary on whether or not you enjoy an hour and 45 minutes of this. I really did because I have not consumed that much of it to date, but it felt so like immediately grokkable to me and just like a lot of fun of like face value fun of, of like, uh, commenting on itself on 30 years of itself, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to Cody about this before. I think that like, I was impressed at how, uh, how well Aaron sort of like 
recovered this plot because I saw the movie like two days ago and remember very few of the actual particulars, right? I don't think that's really the point. Um, I also agree with Aaron that like the movie is probably a little bit too long. However, and again, maybe this was the soft bigotry of low expectations or whatever, but like I was really shocked that a movie with a premise that seems like it is this um, maybe thin sustained itself over an hour and 40 minutes really, really well, I thought. Like, I don't think, like, they repeat a few jokes, but in clever ways, and I don't think that the the central comedy of the premise had worn thin by the time the movie was over, right? Like, I was laughing right up until the end, even if I agree that maybe a few of the scenes go on a little bit too long, or I think in particular, um, like, the, the scenes that center on the four villains talking have the capacity to grate a little bit just because like balancing all of those personalities in one room for as long as they do is just so chaotic that it kind of like gets your eyes glazed over after a little while. But especially like Burt Ward and, um, uh, Adam West as B- Robin and Batman are just like so dynamite together and like all of the scenes in the Batcave, all of the scenes where they're talking and figuring stuff out it like following the dialogue and the visual gags is just so funny right like like all of the labels in the Batcave I never got tired of seeing like Bat uh, rehydrating super like device or whatever or like yeah um they Quick. the most famous one is maybe they slide down the the bat poles and there's a there's an instant costume changer oh my they, god so they slide down it and they're just in full costume see it's just like every how time can you, every time how can you not love it right like, I, it's just so good i do want to give a quick plug in the show notes you'll find a link to a tumblr actually that was they stopped updating it a few years ago but that is just a collection of all the goofy bat labels from the series it is so much fun to go back especially devoid Hell of context yes. it is so good anyway Wow. Okay, that rules. Dang, I will definitely have to to take a look at that. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. If in my mind, if there is like a big, you know, it's not it's not even like an actual cinema sin, but like if you want to dock points for for something, I mean, uh, a kind of one key example, and it's the the I think the for people who haven't seen this movie, it's the one that permeates the internet the most as like one of the like the most memorable sort of visual gag from this movie or something where if you look at it, it's like, Oh, that's, I know what that is. I've seen that online, the him Batman running around with the bomb trying to like dispose of it somewhere. And he goes one way and there's a couple of nuns talking. Then he goes the other way and there's a mom rolling a, a kid in a stroller. And like, that is just the tip of the iceberg for that bit. It's an extremely funny joke like it's very funny and i found the whole thing funny but it also like whether it's 30 seconds or like a minute 45 seconds it would be it would still be funny and there are a lot of scenes like that um but then just to to bounce right back and say you know it can i fault this movie for being so in love with the gags so in love with the the sets and like all the things that they'd constructed i know i was i'm like in retrospect i may be higher on something like um the andromeda strain compared to to everybody else here i still don't love that movie but i do really like how much that movie likes all of its like sets and gadgets oh yeah the first 45 minutes of that movie kick ass dude 100 percent. the problem is that it's you know right yeah we're, yeah, we're comparing, uh, yeah, apples to like rotten kiwis, but, um, yeah, just like that, that's, that's, yeah, that's something I think about. It's for, uh, for a movie that's like so in love with itself. I, I can only dock it so much, but I would never fault somebody for being like, man, this like is, is really dragging because it, it probably does at times. That, but that bomb scene is the thing that is so funny, but it's like, it's, it's got to be what three minutes, four minutes of that. It's, it's very it's, long. It's an it's, absurdly long amount it, of time it, for that it, bit. And, 
for they me do, that not to, not to be too much it, of a yeah, yeah I, I think the length almost comes around again okay, right? and makes right. it funny again but i didn't uh, see that but yes I, yeah i, I do it. agree yeah. that like i think it was annoying when he ran past the nuns and the baby again uh, like obviously, oh, they, I thought that was even. Now funnier. I'm giggling about it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah now I'm like, wow, that is well, a pretty good bit. <laughs> and like the the some days you just can't get rid of a bomb line is just such a fucking knockout. It's like a that's like an airplane tear skit in the middle of this movie. Um, ah, uh, boy, it's so good. Um, we talked about this a little bit before we started uh, recording, and it's not the main point to make, but I couldn't help but uh, laugh at just how funny it is that this Batman, uh like storyline that is supposed to take place in Gotham city is like really, really bright and on the water the whole time. Like I, I think we called it like obviously Southern California, uh, Aaron, you called it like the Manchester by the sea of Batman's because it takes place like in, in like, Boston, yeah, Boston or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like either way. It's like, wait a minute. Like I thought the whole thing about Batman was he was like the, does do, does a single scene in this movie take place at night? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think no, it's so, Cruz- yes, yeah. it makes no sense. He's Batman. He's running around. It's like, you know, 67 and sunny out. It's bro- <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, How are you supposed almost, to brood, you know? Almost all of it takes place at sea. It's like, what? You can't think about your parents' death like- <laughs> while they're, you're fucking on a, the bat boat. Are you kidding me? Right. See? Yeah. Uh, it's well, we're uh, about very bits. weird. Um, yes. They do a really classic. Uh, the penguin shoots like five torpedoes at them while they're uh, out on the buoy, and then it cuts away before we see how they got past the last one. Uh, and then they're totally fine in the next scene. And Robin's just like, "Wow, the the quiet nobility of the almost human porpoise." And Batman says, "Yes, uh, that that noble creature gave up its life so that we may live." <laughs> and it's like it's just implying that a dolphin just swam into the last torpedo and saved it just them. Exploded just, in the water. Oh man, what a good what a good like cut joke. Um, just really great chops on this movie. I think really is. Uh, it is also important to note. I think maybe is a larger point you're talking about, but that. Over the years, the Batman movies I've seen, uh, Batman being horny is like an element. It's it's like part of the character. It's, you know, who's actually got these feelings for Selena Kyle or whoever else is like his, his love interest at the moment. And in this one, it's like literally the, the central to the entire middle act is the fact that he's just very horny for the for uh, Kitka, for the foreign correspondent of, you know, the Moscow Bugle or whatever it's called. To the point where like it is an entire act of the movie that he's just like talking her up and uh, taking her on yeah, outlaw carriage uh, rides through the park. Like they put the an Anachka in here. They put an Anachka right really in the did. middle of the Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> Except that Bruce Wayne is the like the fun loving capitalist, and just, Selena Kyle is Anachka. <laughs> I just love that. In any other movie, it's like an element or a complicating factor of you know like his motivations and stuff. But this is like oh, for the plot to go where it needs to go, he just needs to be like stupidly, like willfully, pointedly lost in his own cum brain that he just like cannot think of anything except this woman must be you know being used by the villains she's not in league with them she's being used with them she's she needs saved she needs like white knight it's it's insanely good that it again understands the character that fucking well to two really great bits one which is recurring which is that uh catwoman is is always like leaving the scene and then arriving as Kitka like literally five seconds later and he's always like well where did Kitka go or like Catwoman 
I, you know, you've you've captured Kitka yet again. She must be just behind that door that you just ran through, which is classic and very good. And then also the the legendary line that he says to Robin about Kitka, where he's like, "She's the best argument I've ever seen for international relations." <laughs> it's just really great. Like even the horny jokes in this are are really funny and um, just sort of like again, like man, where is this Batman now? Where did he go? Why didn't Robert uh, Pattinson make all kinds of weird horny jokes about Pat? Catwoman in the 2022 one. He was Wait, just didn't he? Oh, I didn't no. see that movie, but my understanding. No, no, he really? doesn't. No, it's, it's, no, it's, it's mostly pretty awkward, which is its own kind of charming. But I was about uh, to say sure. it's it's probably the most character like full Batman since at least the 90s ones. Uh, maybe since this one, like, but it's still not this level of self aware camp. Like, I think uh, what's his ass, Colin Farrell as the Penguin is a really inspired choice is in both in terms of casting and act acting from that movie. Uh, and it is like maybe the more, I mean, Danny DeVito, obviously I think kind of takes it, but at <laughs> I, least yeah, I mean, at least in terms of the, Mr. Meredith, DeVito, but, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. The, 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 like f- from, from the 2022 version, I think uh, he like, I think he benefited from having been able to watch so many different performances of the penguin and realize like, Oh, this really camp goofiness of like, he's going to have the most incredibly weird Boston accent you've ever heard. He's just going to sound like, like an, like an amalgam of Northeastern rough accents. And that like really works for almost every line the character says serious or no. And he chooses most often to like portray them in a really fun way. You should check out that movie. It's good. I really like that movie. Um, It is funny to like think about how, the sort of sliding scale of Batman irony has really been only declining since the um, 60s on like a relatively linear path, right? Like I think that like the uh, the Tim Burton Batmans are pretty clearly successors to the, this movie, right? Like Batman Returns is is much, much quote unquote edgier, but it is also like, oh it's, yeah, it's, it's very funny, very funny. Yes. like parody um i guess not to shit on them too much but i guess the nolan movies were the first time he was like okay we're gonna like and what's interesting about that is that like maybe maybe because those are the ones we're most originally familiar with being hashtag millennials though i watched the tim burton ones back in the day um is that like tim or uh christopher nolan's batman is almost a reaction against like the prevailing batman of cinema which is that he's a funny character Right. So it's that's sort of ironic because that I feel like is not how we think about Batman. Now we think of him as like a very serious character who is almost again, like ripe to be parodied. So there's almost this like cyclical nature of Batman where it's like, okay, like now we're in the serious Batman mode. The next Batman movie is going to be silly and we'll enter into an era of silly Batman and then we'll come back around to serious Batman. I don't actually think that's going to happen because Batman makes way too much money not to be super safe and boring with. But I think that's kind of like it's it's an interesting seesaw that we've seen uh, play out over and over again. It is fun to track it through time. Um, let's see. There's not necessarily drunk to our thought, but I really like how the film compares uh, and doesn't even contrast, but just directly compares the what is it? The uh, United World Headquarters within the United Underworld, like the amount, the uh, the coming together of the top four villains in Gotham, uh, against like the, essentially the UN equivalent, uh, nine countries represented, uh, each by you know different ambassadors. Um, like the scenes, I think it's important that we're introduced to the villains of the Underworld and their like whole internecine shit. Their you know their 
complications and what they want to do to ensnare Batman and how they want to steal this incredibly complicated weapon that, uh, you know, has like just creates more problems before it actually solves anything. Uh, and then we finally eventually get a shot of the United world headquarters and everybody's just equally like not coming to any conclusions, not making any formal plans. Everybody is like arguing the same thing that they want peace, that they want whatever. I think it's, it's just fun that they compare those two pretty directly in the movie. Uh, and it's a nice touch that like those broad appeals are being said in different languages and like they're being translated and, and, uh, and they're all like all common calling for the same thing and just nobody's listening to the other. Uh, so that like, I think makes the end of the movie ring a little bit more. You're saying it makes you think. You're saying it, it really, really makes make you, you think. think. Yeah, it, it, makes, it, it, maybe it makes you think. We're saying the same thing. I had a shower thought speaking about the same this language. No, but like as, <laughs> as like by by the by the end good. of by the end of the movie. I mean, it's it's obviously got that whole like Doctor Strange love can't argument here. It's the war room kind of like the whole politics and bureaucracies of politics kind of thing uh, is is just like standard fare. I think for a movie made in 1966 that it has anything to do with international relations, right? Uh, but then by the end, it's just like, it has sort of roughly ignored that idea of, you know, bringing about world peace and like improving the international situation. Like they talk, they make allusions when Bruce is with Kitka to like relations between our two countries, because she's supposed to be from Soviet Russia. And then like by the very end, we have some really strange talking points coming from, uh, from Robin about making people like, like dissolving ethnic and national boundaries to yeah, like for, improve for the like human a condition. Second, for just a, a flash second, he becomes a eugenicist. Robin <laughs> is like, "Hey, what if we yeah. just like took this opportunity to destroy race and gender?" And and Batman's like, "No, no, let's not do that." And then they just sort of Pretty move on up, from man. it. Yeah, he's like, that's, "Oh yeah, okay, good." Hey, yeah, no. I mean, that's why that's you're the sidekick, bud? Right. That's one of my favorite sort of brick jokes about this movie in general. Is like, I think you brought it up already, Aaron. But like, how hilariously ineffective Batman is, and how sort of like insular all of these goings on are. Right. Like, I think it's something that the more serious Batmans have sort of played with this idea that, like, oh, I think in even in uh, Batman Begins, they talk about. Um, uh, like the the ramping up of criminal activity now that Batman's there, and there was always this suggestion that like, oh, did Batman create supervillains? Right? Would supervillains not exist if not for Batman? And like, are they just sort of like perfect counters for one another, so nothing actually gets accomplished? And here it's like, at a certain point, they're all just like fighting, they're squabbling with each other, right? It's like you said, Jason, like by Act Two, they're not even really trying to take over the world. They're just trying to like thwart Batman. Batman's just trying to thwart them. The Security Council doesn't give a shit about any of it. They're just arguing with one another. It doesn't even turn out to matter which language they're arguing in. There's just this hilarious sort of like, um, again, piss take on the effectiveness of Batman. And also like, some some genuinely really funny um and again i'm not saying that this movie is like a cab or that it's it's intentional about making fun of like the um the the uh ineffectualness of batman but i do really love the fact that like they're talking about like just people who drink alcohol as if they're like like uh aaron your quote is like yes they're, yes they're human beings i may be a too, drinker and, but i'm also a human being yes. right it was like that was supposed to be a revelation for robin right it's like oh <laughs> like not all criminals are the same and, and in fact like yes. alcoholics maybe aren't even criminals but man that's so funny that like these are just two guys who are just like 
the the Ubermanks who are just sort of like we have no concept of of what people are, and that's okay because we're Batman and Robin. Well, I think moments like that kind of come from a a very conservative kind of uh, background of superheroes, kind of right. as like Smokey the Bears for kids, but about crime, right? Like there's there are like six or seven scenes in this film where like. Uh, there's like very weird editing and like both Batman and Robin kind of basically turn to the camera and like say a message basically for like 11 year olds. Very much There's so, one at the right? very beginning where they're like, oh yeah, and remember to support your cops. It's <laughs> like the very yeah. beginning. It's like, this is for an 11 year old who is like, doesn't have any sort of actual conception of what crime is and how the world works, right? It's like, oh, these people may be very rude, but maybe there are some reasons why they act that way that we need to consider. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's for it's children. so funny, right? Yes. Like, they literally do canned PSAs, like, over and over yes. again. And it's just like, oh, well, that's just who Robin is. He's, he's constantly spouting out the moral of the story, He's right? the one learning from Batman, who is, is kind of the moral guidance for this younger, kind of stupider... Uh, but now we know, you know right? Now we're the, it's almost like we're the Robins and we're learning it's, these It's lessons. the thing that would be, as Cody said, this is like kind of four episodes just like stapled together. And that's like the thing that would be at the end of each episode. This is the one about not lighting houses on fire. And at the very end, they say, that's other people's property. You shouldn't do that. That's me, <laughs> you know. I especially love, uh, Jason, your line when, when it's like Batman and Robin have to make it clear that underneath these masks, we're just proud, ordinary Americans. <laughs> and it's like, well, are you, though? Are you, though, Batman and Robin? <laughs> oh, man, it is. It is something to see. Um, I'm all out of talking points. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to brush up on before we head to the final segment of our show? Uh, who's your favorite supervillain? I think, uh, weirdly, Burgess Meredith kind of steals the show for me. Maybe just because he has yep. the most screen time. But uh, I really, really love what he accomplishes in this movie. Yeah. I, I uh, was a big fan of the Riddler and the way he moves. I don't know if you watched him during the scene. Where I thought he was sweet. wearing a tank. I thought he was wearing like a, a tank, like a cutoff, uh, like a, uh, what's the phrase? Oh my god, I'm forgetting. I thought he just uh, had his leotard? stomach exposed. Yeah, there's top? like a single shot. Yeah, cropped up. There's a single mm. shot where the mesh underneath, like the upper portion, matches his skin tone due to the lighting. And I was like, Ooh. Is, that, is he wearing a crop top? Damn sexy right Riddler. No, yeah. but I, I that immediately was like, mm, this gains a few stars on the old letterbox just for <laughs> the Riddler wearing a crop top alone. <laughs> uh, he just moves with such like. I mean, already Catwoman is like the one who's supposed to be moving like a feline, like, you know, this lithe, like sort of uh, undulating way. But he also just during his moments of most mischievousness, he just moves in that same exact way. Almost there's this one part <laughs> that I remember very vividly. Maybe I'll even cut it for a clip. But like when they're sweeping up the members of the world or United World Organization after they've dehydrated them all. And he goes over with his little dustpan and he like very gingerly and like puts his arms <laughs> his up. Oversized his oversized dustpan. My God, it's so good. <laughs> It's like trying to pour sand from a hole. Yeah. He's also the only one who like doesn't have any like he sometimes wears his uh, little, you know, TMNT sash over his eyes uh, to like disguise a little bit of his identity. But most of this movie, he just looks like like a like a guy wearing some weird clothes where everybody else has props or like, you know, makeup or whatever. He's just kind of there with like slick back hair. I really like like the brazenness of that character. Uh, It's got to be got to be realer for me. Yeah, I think. Um, I, I, from my point of view, the penguin was the best at like being the campy, like overly gimmicked super villain. I did find myself gravitating toward the Riddler a lot. And it started as kind of like this sort of 
sympathy is such a weird word, but just like also kind of searching for an equilibrium with all like, how are they going to balance all these supervillains? Because Joker and Riddler have so much overlap, like canonic, yes. like thematic, yes. like gimmick, again, gimmick wise. But then also they had the same, like they had very similar laughs. Like I thought it was fascinating that those two actors went for essentially the same laugh. And so I was, you know, I was drawn toward the Riddler a lot because I was, I was, I grew more curious as to how the movie was going to be utilizing him but i think he does have kind of to jason's point like his physicality and his presence throughout the movie was just like very engrossing like it was it, it very uh, i don't know like very unusual but very i don't know I, I was sort of drawn to that so i guess he was probably my favorite for this movie for uh, again for a variety of reasons he, he never really does this but he's like the human performance equivalent of like in the cartoon when like sylvester the cat or like some other like uh, villainous character is like sneaking and they're doing that thing where their their legs just like go almost over their head like yeah, yeah. you know what I mean it's like he always looks like he's doing that somehow in human form um, also real quick I just have to shout out speaking of the Riddler and uh, Joker one of my favorite um, background jokes in the villainous layer, they all have their own shelves and there's a shelf of riddles. That's a bunch of books. There's a shelf of jokes that just has a bunch of like gag equipment on it. And then right next to those two is one that just says like fish food. And that's just, <laughs> that's the penguins shelf. Oh man. That's so good. The, and not just riddles, but riddles with two question marks at the with end two, of it. Yeah, right. Just like, are they riddles? That's the first riddle, right? A couple of them just Ain't say private that. riddle. They appear yeah. close. <laughs> It's a it's a very good visual gag that they keep coming out of that same again batlabels dot I think it's batlabels dot tumblr dot com anyway find it in the show notes good time to be had by all uh, then I think I'll constitute that as my as the junk drawer if anybody else had any one offs any other great stuff to bring up great well we will head into our final segment of the show uh, led in by myself and Harry but uh, guided afterward by Cody himself uh, Harry. Cody, 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 Nodies. <laughs> Never mind. You took it away. I think we leave it at that. Yeah, that's, we, that's leave good. It, that cannot that's improve pretty, on that. Yeah. Uh, holy introductions. That was great. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Um, I'm now regretting not calling this just the bad Nodies. I think in retrospect, that would be the best. But uh, I, I feel like we haven't done alliteration for the name uh, in a while so to, today we'll be taking a look through the old superhero scrapbook and what i'll do is present Ooh, a good. series of prompts yeah um flip through the pages there big daddy uh we're, we're gonna talk about batman movies that have been released oh, yeah. throughout the years um and so i'm gonna give you a series of prompts after each prompt i will ask y'all in alphabetical by first name order to respond you'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer and the person with the most points at the end will win that's how these things usually go as always trivia mafia rules apply here as these things usually go so use your noodles not your googles with that let's go ahead and jump in uh and for this first one we're just going to stay with uh, batman 1966 the Subject of this week's discussion. Yeah, dis subject of this week's discussion. It sounds so scholarly all of a sudden. Um, the rest of this will not. In this film, uh, Batman 1966, there are four chief villains. Uh, we've talked about them, but I'll shout them out again. Uh, Lee Merriweather as the Catwoman, Cesar Romero as the Joker, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, and Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Of these four, which one of these actors is the shortest? So again, reading those off again, uh, Lee Merriweather as the Catwoman, Cesar Romero as the Joker, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, and Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Which one of those is the shortest, Aaron? 
This is tough because all three of those fellas, uh, all three of the men at least, have very strong short king energy. I mean, that n- I, I don't think there's a single one of these people above six feet, personally. Oh. Um, I'm going to say I think Frank Gorshin just has such a – he looked he's, – he's got to be – it's got to be him. He's the shortest. All right, I'm locking in Frank Gorshin. Uh, next up, Harry, what do you think? I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to go with Burgess Meredith because he plays the shortest one in the movie. No thoughts, just the penguin. Burgess Meredith, locking it in. And Jason, what are your thoughts? Aaron, we're going to have to get you to explain a little bit of some, like your rationale for the short king thing. I don't know if that's right They're now. obviously short kings, but... I, I mean, mean, at least a couple of them. Yeah, I don't know if they're all three of them, but... Uh, Cesar I, Romero is actually 6'9". <laughs> Just a, <laughs> nice. a towering nice. individual. <laughs> Uh, I will also go brain off guesses only uh, Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin. All righty. I've got all these answers locked in. Uh, and so I'm just going to go down the line in the same order that I listed them. Uh, Leah Merriweather, uh, I got her at five foot nine. Is there a smoke detector going off? I'm going to keep my headphones on. Let me go check to see if I'm about to die. Okay. God, Godspeed, uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna keep reading these off. Uh, Lee Merriweather, five foot nine. Um, hopefully that's not the fact that set off Aaron's alarm. That would be um, cryptic. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee Merriweather, five foot nine. Uh, Caesar Romero, six foot three. Six foot three. Uh, yeah. Burgess Meredith, Burgess Meredith, five foot six. And Frank Gorshin, five foot eight. So the oh. answer is therefore. Burgess Meredith, five foot six. Um, I agree. Frank Gorshin kind of, I think again, the physicality, he kind of comes off as somebody who's, you know, um, like five, he, four. He really like reminded that. me yeah. of, uh, who's that incredible tap dancer in sound of music? Not the main guy, but the, uh, the dude who does the best sequence where he dances on the oh. wall. Uh, it, oh, it, uh, oh, singing in the rain. Um, Donald, in the rain is that Donald, yeah. Donald O'Connor. Yeah. Do I have that right? He kind of reminded okay. me of Donald O'Connor a little bit. Interesting. Well, That's a big compliment. You know what? Like Aaron, 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 yeah, Aaron is still checking on uh, his livelihood and um, the, the the health of his missus. So I'm going to look up Donald Donald O'Connor, five foot seven. Um, huh. He yeah, does so just have that, like that dancer's physique. Like he's always stupid right. in this movie. I realize. Like I was talking about his physical uh, Frank Gorshin's physical performance. He like is always kind of like creeping and stupid and doing his thing. So I guess that must have thrown me <laughs> off. He is. He's one inch shorter than, than Lee Merriweather than you said. He's five eight. She's five nine. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And uh, yeah, again, th- these are these are listed heights that I found on the internet from a few different sources. I'm just assuming that they were somewhat close to these heights during the time of filming. Um, once everybody knows, once you hit like age twenty, your height is fixed forever. Forever. Uh, True. You don't get tall. You don't get shorter. Nothing happens. So, um, and I'm just you know I'm, I'm not sure. I'm what looking forward to, to being six that, four for the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, um, it completely rocks Abraham that Caesar Romero was that tall. Was he significantly taller than Adam West then? Oh, I love the idea of a fucking just a tall ass Joker towering Joker over the Batman. That should be open instead of nobody else. Nobody, nobody else look up Adam West's height. Um, just off the dome for no points, just for for practice reps. Um, how tall do y'all think Adam West is? Well, uh, Aaron, that is question one and question two. Are 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 you and your wife okay? 
Uh, I don't think we'll be dying, although there's something on the floor of the oven that's causing a lot of smoke, and I don't think we did anything that would have spilled on the floor of the oven, so now I'm very curious about that. Very curious. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then, how tall do you think Adam West is? Um, arguably, Sorry, how tall was Cesar Romero one more time? Oh, Cesar Romero is 6'3". Yeah, uh, I'm going to give Adam West... I, I think Adam West is like a 6'1". All right. Uh, Harry? I was going to go with six feet even. Yeah. Okay. And then Jason? I'll go 5'10". Five, five, Adam West, 6'2". Six, 6'2". Tall King. They were built different yeah. back then. Those are That's a tall Batman and Joker. They, they were built different. I commented while watching this movie that... That was what like just a buff guy looked like in 1966. Yes, yeah, I fucking mm-hmm. love that. Like it rocks. He, do- he look he looks like he's incredibly good shape. But today but he, he also must looks be Henry like- Cavill, or you right. are a schlub. Right. Yeah. And now I, it's really the could, it's could the those guys. unrealistic body expectations that I think men have suffered equally uh, to women uh, in Hollywood. <laughs> oh film. no, Harry's you know? going full MRA. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. number two. Uh, he's been watching too much if Batman. He, if media. he brings up Fight Club, kick him off the call. <laughs> I just think yeah. we should have the yeah. right to deal with vigilant. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Harry, Harry, Harry got the point for that question. Now it's all gone to his head. Uh, I'm going to cut this off, and we're going to go to question two, uh, for which we'll turn our attention toward the series of four Batman films that occupied the late 80s and 90s. And I know we're all aware of those, but just um, reiterating them for the folks at home who may not have heard of these little numbers, uh, Batman 1989, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. Uh, I'm going to spout off three pieces of trivia about these uh, these four films I'm going to need y'all to tell me what piece of trivia related to this quadrilogy is not real. So you're going to be looking for the fake piece of trivia. I'm going to read them off one at a time, starting with number one. During the filming of Batman Forever, Tommy Lee Jones and Joel Schumacher clashed. Schumacher described uh, Tommy Lee Jones as being, quote, childish and impossible. So that's the first piece. Uh, the second piece of trivia, Mr. Freeze says 27 ice puns throughout Batman and Robin. And the third piece of trivia... During the filming of Batman 1989, Michael Keaton pioneered performing Batman's voice at a lower register than uh, when he was portraying Bruce Wayne. So those are the three pieces of trivia. Which one of those uh, is just me trying to get you, Aaron? I think it's the third one. All right, Aaron is going with number three, my lord. Uh, Harry, what do you think? I'm pretty confident that A is the answer because I'm pretty sure that the the real one is that Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Jim Carrey didn't get along because I believe Tommy Lee Jones, quote, could not condone his uh, Sanction his antics. buffoonery. Sanction his buffoonery. Sanction Thank you. Buffoonery. Yeah, very, very good <laughs> quote from uh, our man, uh, Mr. Lee Jones. All right, so Harry is going with the first one, and Jason, what do you think? You're going to cover the spread, or are you going to follow your heart on a different you path? You know I'm going to cover that MF spread, baby. I'm going to go with B, and it's because I think I've heard a number smaller than that for Ice Puns. I've never seen the movie, but I think I've heard a number smaller than that for Ice Puns. you got to see that movie, dude. I know, I know. We gotta, we'll watch it. We do got to watch it. Um, we also, hey, we also got to watch out because uh, Harry is two for two. The incorrect trivia item is a... Uh, but not for, you, you did the wrong math, but got to the correct answer. This was actually said about Val Kilmer and not Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, Tommy uh, Lee Jones. Just, Joel, 
Wow. I So I was going to save this for the end. I'm just going to read that separate trivia item uh, verbatim because I love it so much and I can't help but bring it up. But uh, uh, Val Kilmer and Joel Schumacher clashed on the set of Batman Forever. He, he said all those mean things, um, but I don't know. Maybe Val Kilmer was kind of a butt. Um, however, uh, I don't know. Did you all know this uh, on, on the set of Batman Forever? Director Joel Schumacher has confirmed that the story that Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones didn't get along is very true. The director told Vulture that while working with Jones mm. on 1994's The Client, uh, that experience was wonderful. Uh, the actor, however, was really mean to his co-star Carrey on this film, that film being Batman Forever. According to Carrey, he went to Jones one day and asked, Hey, Tommy, how are you doing? Uh, that's my Jim Carrey impression. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones instantly turned white and started shaking. Then he got up and hugged Carrie, saying, I hate you. I really don't like you. When Carrie asked why he was doing it, Jones responded, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> cannot sanction your buffoonery. I'm going to get that tattooed on my butt, my the inside of my lip. I'm going to get that everywhere. <laughs> the idea of and truly, hugging it's one someone of the best. and saying, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. oh boy! Um, speaking of buffoonery, uh, we're moving moving along through the scrapbook here. The broad focus of question number three is going to be the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, what I'm going to do is list some co-stars of these movies. Uh, my question for you all is: Whom among the following was reportedly paid the most to co-star in their you know, respective film that that I list here? So we've got Katie Holmes in Batman Begins. We've got Gary Oldman in The Dark Knight. And Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises. So which one of those folks reportedly made the most money for their particular role in their particular movie, uh, Aaron? I mean, it's got to be Anne Hathaway, right? Yeah. Is that you locking it in? I'm locking it in. Okay. Slab of concrete on the mountain somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Harry, what do you think? I was also going to go with Hathaway, even though I'm really afraid that- you're winning. You're winning. Maybe oh, don't, you know hey, don't what? Worry. All right. If if I win, they're just going to delete my uh, recording anyway. So you don't got <laughs> my, anything to my worry virus about. worked. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. The fairness commission uh, threw a virus That's right. into the system. They, yes. Yeah. They cr- they crashed Zencaster's systems for Harry's end. Womp womp. Uh, so that was you locking in C as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Hathaway. All right, we're, we're, t- we're two for two on locking in our answers in the form of questions. Let's see if Jason keeps up that trend or uh, or goes a different route. What do you think? Hathaway. Hathaway. Uh, yeah, this was more or less uh, something uh, of a lamp. It is Hathaway. Um, I thought I would find more fascinating salaries, um, but they were very, um, <laughs> other, other than other than Christian Bale, uh, who made something like 5 then $10, then $15 million. A lot of these are pretty well under wraps, but Katie Holmes made a million for Batman Begins. Gary Oldman reportedly $3 million. For the Dark Knight, and then Anne Hathaway, seven and a half million for the Dark Knight Rises, and then as a fun honorable mention, Marion Cotillard uh, reportedly took home seven hundred thousand dollars for the Dark Knight Rises. Which, like, come on, she was best best actress. Yeah, That's crazy. For this, what, what the what the fuck's going on here? I would. I listen. I'm. I know I'm different. I would pay her more, just for what it's worth. More that, than seven hundred. That's that beautiful just, of you, Cody. Thank you. I, it's the least I can do. Um, so, hey, everybody's on the board. Uh, the score is 3-1-1 in um, the order of Harry, Aaron, Jason, or Harry, Jason, Aaron, depending on, you know, who's, you know, loved ones. Just so long as I'm episode. on top. <laughs> I'm going to say it's still very much anybody's game. Or wait, still very much anybody's game. That's like not really. It's, it's kind of Batman. Um, makes you think. Uh, for number four. 
let's go ahead and invoke uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and I guess also Zack Snyder's Justice League, both of which were directed by, you guessed it, Zack Snyder. In many IMDb profiles, they've got a section dedicated to trademarks of that particular artist. I don't know if you know this. What I'm going to do here is list three Zack Snyder trademarks per IMDb. Two will be real, one will be fake, and your job will be to pick out the fake trademark. So I'm going to list three of them, starting with number one. Slow motion shots of a fist punching a cheek. That's the first trademark. Second trademark, many of his films are comic book adaptations. And third trademark features tough, strong female characters. So which one of those is the fake trademark, Aaron? I'm sorry, what's the, what's the, can you repeat the first one more time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, slow motion shots of a fist punching a cheek. I mean, that's true, but there's just no way. There's just no, I mean, that look, the th- the third one is so funny. That's probably on there, though, right? Um, it's too it's too stupid to not be true. Second one is a comic book adaptation. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll go the first one. I think the first one is the fake. All right, I'm locking in the first one. While I'm locking that in, Harry, do you want to toss out a guess? Yeah, Aaron and Jason's logic is really, really sound. I fully believe that the third one is too stupid to not actually be on there. Um, I'm just going to go with it anyway, um, I guess. All right, locking in the third one and Jason. Uh, You have the opportunity to cover the spread or the opportunity to forge your own... Follow uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in, in forming your your fellow countrymen, forming your own legacy, <laughs> or are you gonna you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna take the coward's way out and cover I, the spread? It's I stand on the shoulders of giants when I cover the spread, and I'm gonna go with B. It was gonna be my choice That's anyway. Bold. Like as soon as That's I heard bold. it, but I, uh, I I feel like I feel like that doesn't read, read to me so much as a trademark of like a directorial style as it is just like hmm, a thing to consider. Huh. That's my logic. B. B. All right. Got the spread covered. The fake trademark is the third one. Features tough, strong Fuck. female characters and maybe something. Hopefully this doesn't take uh, the, the, wind, the wind out of out of the victory sales for this question. But this is actually this trademark is listed under the profile of famous shithead Joss Whedon, not Zack uh, Snyder. <laughs> so there's that. That, hey, is, I mean, that is technically true for Joss Whedon, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, that was, that's what everybody badly, was talking you know. about. It's like, yeah. hey, yes. if you had to guess which one of these guys is toxic, do you remember? that everybody was wrong. It was like a Vanity Fair like comeback piece for him that just made him seem even worse. Oh my god! Do you remember reading that? That was yes. hilariously oh, yeah. fucking it, terrible. One of the most unreadable things I've maybe ever read. Just <laughs> the worst human being. Oh my god. <laughs> Ah, well, thankfully, we will uh, be continuing to be weeding him out of our lives. Um, <laughs> pull the muscle on that stretch. And we're heading into the mm-hmm. fifth and final question. It's it's still very much anybody's game. Uh, we're going to, okay. you know, we're just we're going to take a step back and just get a sense of the lay of the land as we look out across the box office landscape. That's right. What I'm going to do is list the top four film franchises in terms of all-time domestic box office gross, um, not adjusted for inflation, so just all-time domestic box office gross. When, uh, what I'm going to ask each of y'all to do is rank them in order from uh, of highest all-time gross to lowest. You will get, uh, and this is just stuff you all know, but to new listeners tuning in for Batman 1966, um, uh, you know, you'll get a point for each correctly slotted film. And since there'll be four films total in the mix, uh, if you get the answer completely correct, you'll get four points. If only two of the films are slotted correctly, you get two points and so on and so forth, etc. cetera. Um, with that, I will now read the list 
of franchises y'all are trying to rank from highest to lowest domestic gross. Again, these are the top four franchises. Um, I'm going to be reading them in alphabetical order. So we got the Batman franchise. We've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got the Spider-Man franchise. And we've got the Star Wars franchise. So again, ranking those uh, in terms of all-time domestic box office gross, not adjusted for inflation, highest to lowest. We got the Batman franchise. We've got the MCU. We got the Spider-Man universe, and we've got the Star Wars franchise. Have Spider-Man. I vamped enough for you, Aaron? Spider, yeah. Spi- the Spider-Man, the films, and like No Way Home. Where is that being counted here? So I, I guess I'm I'm fine clarifying this because I had to double check as well. So something like yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home, it fits. You know, there might be some overlap with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Spider-Man franchise because you know uh, it's it, the No Way Home occupies both. It's not the Spider-Man franchise is not going to be inclusive of something like Captain America Civil War because Spider-Man was in it for ten minutes. We're talking about like Spider-Man vehicles, right? Does that? help clarify anything so like far from home for example would count under both then yep yep what yeah that's that uh which which (laughs) i can vamp a little more domestic i can vamp a little domestic um (laughs) shit uh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll lock this in, although I'm not feeling very confident about it anymore. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah Story of my cool. life with everything. So, know, hey, know, we're all in a, in a good, comfortable space. All right, yeah, here's yeah, what I'm going to do. I have uh, most to least. Is that fine? Yep. Oh, that's okay. Hey, since okay. that is what I asked for, you are, all right. you are in the uh, right spot. Can I do Marvel at number one, Star Wars at number two, Spider-Man at number three, Batman at number four? Alrighty, so just reading those back, I've I, got. I, I uh, immediately regret that. Anyway, continue. Okay, well, here, yeah, no, 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 me asking for. Yeah, so we got uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've got the Star Wars franchise, we've got the Spider Man franchise, and the Batman franchise at four. Does that sound right? Or as far as your guess goes? Okay, perfect. Lock yeah. in that in. And all right, moving along to Harry, uh, lay your guesses upon me. Please. Yeah, I'm going to do number one is MCU, number two is Spider-Man, number three is Star Wars, and number four is Batman. All righty. So reading those back for clarity's sake, we've got uh, Marvel, Spider-Man, Star Wars, and then Batman. Yep, that's correct. Gotcha, gotcha. All righty. Locking that in. And finally, Jason, what did you land upon? I initially landed upon exactly what Aaron came up with. So in order to either shoot myself in the foot completely or cover a spread that he maybe isn't covering, I'm going to go for MCU, then Star Wars. Sorry, most at least. MCU, then Star Wars, then Batman, then Spider-Man. I think if you take the Spider-Man out of the MCU, I think the MCU doesn't lose a whole lot. But I think you take the MCU out of Spider-Man and Spider-Man loses a big chunk of it. Gotcha. So reading those back, we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've got Star Wars, we've got Batman, and then we've got Spider-Man. Does that match your guess? That is correct. Gotcha. Okay. All righty. Let's dance all nighty. Yeah. So, hey, thank you all. Just in advance, thank you for um, flipping through the superhero scrapbook. Uh, The correct order of these franchises from highest to lowest domestic box office gross is as follows. 
Coming in first with just north of $11 billion is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so everybody got that one. Uh, coming in next at just north of $5 billion is Star Wars. Coming in Ooh. third uh, just north of $3.3 billion thereabouts is Spider-Man and then $3.2 billion. Fuck. So just coming in underneath that is Batman. Um, looking at the scores here, everybody got at least two points. Aaron came away with the, the, the perfect, um, kind of run through, but Harry still came out with the uh, most number of points for the game. Uh, six for Harry, five for Aaron, three for Jason. So that is the way the cookie she crumbles. Um, I think this is now when I open up the floor for a Harry pop off sesh. So Harry, oh no, listen, we played a great game. Aaron's a fierce competitor and you know, he did his best, but. Um, I said it last time. You guys might not have heard it, but it's the era of the Mackin. So uh, just the first of many victories to come. Stay tuned, true believers, Excelsior, etc. Batman's DC, so this doesn't make a lot of sense, but we were talking about Spider-Man. So um, once again, Excelsior and, and so forth. Uh, Excelsior and so forth. <laughs> we have uh, uh, the best time finishing our episodes with Cody's notice every time, uh, especially Harry, who's uh, his. The Fairness uh, Commission will will review the results of this edition of Cody's notice. Ooh, well. uh, we haven't brought ooh, in the yeah. Fairness Commission in quite a while. Uh, uh, it's been exactly one week since we did it or something I don't, like that. Well, so that's, that's been that's really something. Yeah, no, that, that, was oh, in, yeah, that's that was right. in, that was inconsistent. Yeah, he um, fixes in. Uh, we have uh, one more thing to say before we log off, which is, uh, hey, go to the Trilons website, find what you want to watch. Um, coming up in December, we have prototypes for the rom-com. We also have the Three Colors trilogy. Uh, next year, Into the 21st Century Dystopia, there's a film noir festival at Heights, uh, exploitation stra- extravaganza at the Trilon. Go for what seems like something you wouldn't normally watch. That's my advice. That's the Trilon advice I'll give you from a from a seasoned vet of what, going there three years or something like that. Uh, check out something that you wouldn't normally. Uh, bring a friend with you. Have a good time. Uh, trilon.org and trial, excuse me, at Trilon Cinema on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, this is our little show called Try Love. It's a podcast where we talk about movies we saw there or because of that theater. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. I'm one of the people who makes it. My name's Jason. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Guys, I, I've been thinking about Joss Whedon ever since we talked about him, and I just cannot get over how funny it ever is. So. Do you guys, do you guys remember how when Joss Whedon was canceled, they like they reassessed Firefly, which was so beloved by everybody, and then immediately yeah. the discourse was just like, "Hey, this is just about feeling sad that the Confederates lost the American Civil War," and <laughs> oh, everybody just like yeah. immediately turned on it. That was like one of the funniest things in discourse that has ever happened because like that reevaluation never would have happened except that Joss Whedon was a creep, and then everybody was also like oh yeah also like one of his best known things it's complete dog shit i always just i get a real a real kick <laughs> you out see of that. the train heist episode though it's yeah train, it's pretty good train heist hey yeah, buffy the good. vampire slayer is good. really great uh good. it turns out but joss whedon uh suck it uh yeah oh, i've been name... harry mack and you can find me on twitter <laughs> at shiitake harry <laughs> uh my name is uh aaron uh you can find me on twitter at rb please Bon voyage, pussy.